Father, we give thanks that we can come here this morning and worship you. We give thanks, Father, that in this country we have the freedom to read your word aloud, uh, to have your word in our possession. Father, help us to know that your word is true. Father, soften our hearts to hear your word, and we pray that through uh, your word today we will come to know your great love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we now look to Bodie, who's going to bring us the Bible reading, which is Matthew 9, uh, verses 9 to 17. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 17. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often? but your disciples do not fast. Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of untrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Um, okay, but into this passage, uh, there's, there's something unique, isn't there, about eating together in a big group, right? Uh, something really unique and special about it, uh, from sharing South African sausages over a bonfire. Uh, well, weren't, they, weren't they awesome? If you're at the bonfire, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I need some more of those sausages, uh, wherever Rihanna is. <laughs> uh, to a big family Christmas feast, or a wedding reception, or a birthday meal. Eating together like that uh, goes along with celebration, right? It goes along with celebration and joy. And we all know people, maybe you are that person, with a real gift for that kind of hospitality. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't mean kind of fancy food. Fish and chips will do just fine. Uh, it, all it needs is an open heart. Because it's not actually primarily about the food, it's about relationships. Uh, So that's a great gift from God, if that's one of the gifts God has given you. Please keep using it. Our stomachs, thank you. Uh, (laughs) uh, More than that, our hearts need it, actually. Uh, Well, eating together was, as always, a really significant thing. Eating together was a really significant thing in Jesus' time as well. Uh, Even more so than today in some senses. Culturally, it was really, really significant. Uh, It was this kind of intimate sign of acceptance and fellowship to eat with people around your table. Um, And and the Bible, when you read the Bible, it's full of this this eating, it's full of feasts. Uh, From from the beginning to the end, actually, the the whole story of the Bible starts with God inviting the first humans to eat this banquet from the fruit of the trees of the garden. And the Bible ends with an incredible banquet as well. Uh, and as, as, you, as we read through the Gospels, one of those really striking things that you notice as you read through the Gospels is Jesus is just always eating with people. He's always, he's always eating. He seemed to spend heaps of time at dinner parties. Um, and that's exactly what we're going to see in this passage in Matthew 9. 
Uh, there's two scenes here that we're looking at. Uh, if you have Bibles that you've brought with you, that'd be great. The passage will come up on the screen as well in Matthew chapter 9. Uh, there's these two scenes that we're looking at, and they're both tied together by this theme of feasting. Both tied together by this theme of feasting, of eating. And together they reveal something deep and wonderful to us about our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, about the invitation he offers and the life that he gives. Uh, so, uh, as I said, Matthew's written these chapters in his gospel to really focus in on Jesus' matchless authority. Um, yeah, they're, they're, it's an, they're wonderful chapters. And I've called this sermon, you can see if you've got a sermon outline, I've called this sermon, Jesus' Authority to Call a Feast. Um, that's what you see in this first scene that we're looking at. That's what you see. Uh, even though he, Jesus technically isn't the host, Matthew is. Uh, it's clear that Jesus is the one in charge, actually. He's the one who has called this gathering together. So if you remember last week, uh, we looked at the start of chapter 9 and when Jesus healed the paralysed man. He healed this paralysed man. Uh, and, and everyone is in awe of his authority. Everyone around him is just struck by him. Uh, and, then, and we read in verse 9, he goes on from there and he sees this guy named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, we're reading Matthew's gospel. Uh, this is the, the author of this whole gospel that we're looking at. So you can, I reckon you can kind of imagine Matthew's excitement as he's writing this down for us, as he's remembering, recalling, recording how he first came to meet and follow Jesus. Um, it's a really incredible moment, but it's so understated as you read through, right? Um, Jesus just calls Matthew. Uh, Matthew, so he's there, right? He, he's going about his business. He's hard at work in downtown Capernaum. He's probably heard stories of Jesus. Um, uh, we, we're not told that, but kind of Jesus has been um, causing a bit of a stir around the place. But either way, what happens is incredible, right? Jesus walks past Matthew and says just two small words. Are two small words that just totally change Matthew's life, right? In verse 9, follow me, he told him. Follow me. He called him. Now, I don't know about you, but if a stranger walked up to me and told me out of the blue to follow him, I'd probably, you know, I'd probably turn around and get out of there as fast as I could. Um, you don't know what, where he's leading you. But we've, well, we've seen this with Jesus, haven't we? He's just his matchless authority, the way he speaks. And when he speaks, things happen. He speaks things into reality. Um, we've seen it all through chapter 8. Be clean, and he is clean. Uh, be quiet to the storm. He stills the storm. Uh, he says to the demons, go. He says to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. And then, remember last week, get up. Take your mat and go home. Jesus calls Matthew here with this incredible power. Uh, and what Jesus says happens, happens. <laughs> uh, and Matthew, Matthew responds in a way that, I mean, it would, it would be kind of crazy to do this with anyone else, with anyone else except for Jesus. He gets up in verse 9. Matthew got up and followed him. It's so simple, isn't it? But think about what's going on here. Matthew gets up from his work, his livelihood. Uh, he, he, he just instantly turns and follows Jesus and leaves the old life behind. 
He's hitched his wagon to Jesus, and he's following him now. And what, the very next thing that you read as you keep reading through this, uh, Jesus, uh, well, uh, Matthew and Jesus go to Matthew's house, and they hold this dinner party. He calls his mates and has a feast with Jesus. Well, the problem is, the people Jesus feasts with are so often all the wrong people. The people Jesus feasts with are so often all the wrong people. Uh, we heard in uh, verse 9 that Matthew was a tax collector. Tax collectors were a pretty despised class um, at the time. They were seen as uh, traitors to their people, the Jews, um, and sellouts to the Roman Empire. So the, the Jews were kind of under occupation from the Roman Empire. These guys, the tax collectors, would enforce taxation of the Jewish people, collecting money and, and often actually sort of skimming a bit off the top, maybe collecting a bit more than they should for their own pockets. So they were, they were not well regarded among the Jewish people, among their own people. So they were, you know, you get a sense of the, that um, this guy, Matthew, and you can kind of picture the disciples as they're walking along with Jesus, right? And Jesus, you know, of all the people around him, he calls that guy, not Matthew, not the tax collector. And in verse 10, you read that there's many of these guys, many tax collectors who are here with Jesus and his disciples. And not just tax collectors, but did you notice that people who Matthew calls sinners, uh, they're joining in too. It's, we don't know exactly kind of what that, you know, who, who was there, but people who are kind of obviously leading a sinful life, um, the outcasts, the socially unacceptable, the people who had no seat at the table of the religious leaders or the civil leaders of the time. Uh, when I was writing this sermon out, I made a bit of a typo. Uh, earlier when I was talking about dinner parties, I accidentally wrote sinner parties because uh, the S is right next to the D on the keyboard. Uh, but then I realised, oh, that's a, that's a very helpful typo because <laughs> that's exactly what this was, right? This was a sinner party. <laughs> and the Pharisees, these respectable religious leaders, uh, they know how shocking this is, this sinner party going on in Matthew's house with Jesus there. They know how shocking it is that Jesus would sit down and eat a meal with these people. Verse 11, the Pharisees see this. They see this going on in Matthew's house and they ask the disciples, and I think we're meant to read a kind of indignant, offended tone, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he eat with those people? Uh, and Jesus' answer, as you read on, it really gets to the heart of this passage, the heart of the gospel, the heart of the good news that he brings. Uh, he hears their question and he says back to them in verse 12, it's not the healthy who need a, who, who need a doctor, but the sick. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And then he says in verse 13, but go and learn what this means. And he quotes from a book of the Old Testament from Hosea. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And Jesus goes on, for I have, come to not, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So these religious leaders who, they, they object to Jesus feasting with sinners. They've gotten it all wrong. 
Uh, and, and Jesus quotes from this book, Hosea, to kind of show it. Um, the prophet Hosea lived about uh, 700 years before Jesus, and he, he preached against the religious leaders in his day. Uh, they, were, they, they were more concerned with looking righteous on the outside than they were with what was going on the inside. Um, so they went and performed all the sacrifices at the temple, but their hearts were far from God, uh, and they didn't see that behind those sacrifices that God had given them, behind that was God's own heart of deep mercy and grace. And Hosea really slams into them. Uh, and Jesus, in effect, by quoting Hosea, he, in effect, is doing the same for these guys. Um, we've already seen it, right? If, you've, if you were with us last term when we read together through the Sermon on the Mount, this was a theme that came up again and again. Um, he keeps going into that here. He, uh, Jesus preaches against hypocrisy, right? Um, he groups these Pharisees that he's talking to with those people in Hosea's day. Uh, and he says, you hypocrites, you hypocrites. Remember what a hypocrite is? A mask wearer. You're more, you're more concerned with what you look like on the outside than what's going on in your heart. You're more concerned with that than your heart being shaped by God's heart. And God's heart is for mercy, the whole point of Jesus' coming was God's mercy as a doctor for the sick. A doctor for the sick. To bring forgiveness and new life for sinners. It's just wonderful what's going on here. It's helpful to clarify, though. Jesus doesn't minimize, it's, he's not, Jesus isn't minimizing sin here. He's not minimizing the sin of these people. He doesn't say, oh, no, 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 it's okay I'm eating with them. They're not really that bad. They're not really sinners. It's okay to eat with them. He doesn't say that. He, Jesus never minimizes sin. Uh, he hates it and calls his people out of it. Uh, he takes sin so seriously, he went to the cross because of it. That's how seriously Jesus takes sin. So this feast is not a celebration of sin. It's a celebration of the extraordinary grace of God to sinners. Jesus loved going to sinner parties. Uh, but it's not, not because he loved sin, but because he loved sinners. He loved sinners. And the real tragedy here in this story is that the Pharisees think that they're not sinners. Uh, they think they're the righteous ones, um, the healthy ones who don't need a doctor. Uh, but as you know, we've already seen this through the Sermon on the Mount, right? Like we said before, sin is about the heart. None of us escape it. None of us are righteous. None of us are in that category of the healthy who don't need a doctor. And the ones who are in real danger are the ones, the ones who will always be indignant about God's grace, who will always feel uncomfortable at Jesus' feast, are those who think that they're actually pretty okay, thank you very much. Sure, okay, I have a bit of a temper, but I'm no murderer. Uh, sure, I might use porn, but I've never committed adultery. And what's more, I'm really good at donating money and praying and fasting. Uh, so, so what, and so what if I kind of like it when people see me doing those things? And Jesus says to the Pharisees of his day, you hypocrites, you hypocrites, if you have that attitude, you'll never want to be part of the feast that I'm holding. Your sickness is worse than the tax collectors and sinners because you don't see it. 
You've covered it over with your pride and your self-righteousness. On the other hand, meanwhile, the people who can't hide their sin from Jesus, the people who can't hide their sin, who know they're sinners, they just flock to Jesus. They seem to flock to him. The ones we heard last week, uh, they flock to Jesus. The one that we heard last week has the authority to forgive sins, to wipe them away. These Sinners who can't hide it, they find in Jesus someone, they, uh, you just get the sense, they just enjoy being around him, right? Uh, someone who welcomes them in. So Jesus bears a cost, doesn't he, here? He bears a cost for eating with these sinners. He bears the cost of the disgrace and shame of the people around for associating with them. And I think that's a, it's a little picture that we get here. It's a little picture of the ultimate costs that he paid in order to forgive sinners at the cross and the shame and disgrace he willingly bore on himself in order to have you at his feast, to welcome you into his feast. Well, uh, the scene shifts uh, in that second scene that we look at. It's kind of continuous. It seems to be probably at the same setting, so uh, it's probably during this meal, Jesus is eating with these guys, he has this conversation with the, the Pharisees, and then another group come up in verse 14, and, it, and, it's, uh, and like the Pharisees, they're concerned with Jesus, they're trying to figure him out, they're trying to figure out what's going on, uh, and it's the disciples of John the Baptist. Now, John, John the Baptist was Jesus's cousin, uh, but more important than that, he was a prophet, the, the last Old Testament prophet pointing towards Jesus. Uh, preparing the way for the Lord. Uh, but it seems that Jesus wasn't always the Lord that John was expecting him to be. So John, uh, you get the sense that John's trying to figure Jesus out too. Uh, and his disciples come and they see Jesus, this dinner party, this sinner party going on, uh, and it sparks a different conversation for them. Uh, verse 14, John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often? but your disciples do not fast. Uh, in other words, us people who are really serious about our faith, we fast all the time. And apparently the, the Pharisees would fast two days a week. They had two days in which they would fast every week. And it was a sign of their devotion to God, right? And, and here's this guy preaching about the kingdom of heaven who has this amazing authority. And he seemed, but yet he seems to totally disregard what uh, this this practice um he doesn't uh, he not only doesn't fast with the pious people he feasts with the unpious he feasts with the sinners well uh jesus uh, uses this question that the that the john the baptist disciples come to him with he uses it to show something really deep and wonderful about who he is uh, verse 15, Jesus answers, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? You get the picture, right? Imagine you're at a wedding reception, someone you know, someone you love is getting married, uh, and it's a celebration full of joy. But then you notice this one table in the middle of the room 
where all the people there are talking in serious tones with frowns on their faces. They have empty plates in front of them, maybe just a little water, and they certainly aren't dancing. Uh, and you go over and you say, what's going on? <laughs> what? This, wh why aren't you joining in the feast? Why aren't you celebrating with us? And, and they say, oh, no, 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 we're, we're fasting. We, we certainly can't, we can't possibly, we can't possibly join in this feast. Like, it's, it's a bit of a ridiculous picture, right? Um, and Jesus says, for, Jesus tells these guys, for my disciples to fast would be as ridiculous as that. Um, there will come a time when Jesus will be taken from them. He's talking about the, his death at the cross. That'll be a time for mourning and fasting, but not now. While he's with them, it just makes no sense to fast. But there's more to this illustration Jesus uses than just a simple good illustration. Um, as you read through the Old Testament, God is pictured as the bridegroom for his people, his bride. Uh, it's actually a major theme in that, uh, the book that Jesus has already quoted from, the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. Uh, it's a major theme. God is the loving, jealous husband, uh, and Israel is his bride, and they've, they've constantly been unfaithful to him. And Hosea gives voice to God's anguish and anger at this, but he also gives voice to God's faithful love for sinners, for his wayward people. Uh, it won't be on the screen, but you, um, in chapter 2, God says this through his prophet Hosea. He says, he says to his people, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. It's this really kind of thread, that's, uh, this theme that threads through the Old Testament and here is Jesus making really what is an incredible claim, an incredible claim. This moment that was looked forward to in Hosea and the prophets of the Old Testament, this moment that they looked forward to is now here. The bridegroom has come. The bridegroom has come to take his bride to himself. And so Jesus says, this, this sinner party I'm holding here, is actually the ultimate wedding feast. Uh, it's, a, it's a really shocking claim. Uh, remember last week we saw Jesus claim to be able to do something that only God can do, to forgive sins. It's the same thing going on here. This is the great moment the Old Testament all pointed towards. God coming to restore and redeem his people, to establish his kingdom, to marry his bride, so something unique and new and transforming is happening. And, and that's basically what you see as you read through the rest of this passage. These, maybe you picked it up, maybe you kind of tossed it around in home group this week. These other uh, metaphors and images that Jesus uses at the end here. Uh, all the stuff to do with old garments and new patches being sewn on or old wineskins not being able to hold new wine. They need new wineskins to hold the new wine. It takes a bit to head, get your head around, but basically, basically Jesus is saying he is, he's the new wine. He's here. He's here to fulfill the Old Testament promises, to set up God's kingdom, to begin a new era in God's great salvation plan. And it's a new era that the old wineskin, the structures of Old Testament Israel, they, they can't contain it. 
It's a new era that we see, that we see this side of Jesus' death and resurrection that's played out in his church. The gathering of forgiven sinners from every nation, filled with his spirit to proclaim his good news. That's the new wineskin that holds this wonderful new wine of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, there's heaps in there, and we've sort of just touched on a bunch of different big things, but it, this, this part of Matthew chapter 9 is a really powerful insight, isn't it, into the nature and the character of this feast that Jesus has come to hold and that he invites you into. Um, I, I just want to finish by offering a couple of short reflections on how what's, what we see here in Jesus might shape our own church family together. Uh, here, at, here in Victor Harbour, our own life together with Jesus. I wonder, do you realise that our church is a sinner party? Um, not because we celebrate sin at all. Um, not because we celebrate sin, but because we celebrate our great Saviour who saves us from our sin. Our bridegroom who is full of mercy and takes us to be his own, and teaches us and empowers us to go and sin no more, who transforms us by his grace. I reckon it's pretty easy to forget that. Uh, I think it can be easy to think of church as basically a place for the outwardly respectable people to gather, maybe even the self-righteous people to gather. And if we think that way... Our church will not be a hospital for spiritually sick people who need gospel healing. Our church won't be a feast for hungry sinners who long for forgiveness and acceptance and renewal. In other words, we won't be like Jesus at all. We will be more like the Pharisees standing off to the side and scandalised by the kind of people Jesus feasts with. Uh, But, friends, the wonderful reality that we see here is that Jesus is this new wine of God's salvation. He's the one who has come not for the supposedly righteous, but for the sinners. And this gospel, this wonderful news, it it humbles. It does a couple of things, doesn't it? It humbles those who are self-righteous. It humbles us to see that we are, in fact, we are, in fact, sinners, desperate sinners, And it lifts up the despairing person, humbles the proud, lifts up the despairing, the despairing sinner who who can see now the wonderful and forgiving grace of God. So what do you need today, friends? Maybe do you need that humbling word from the Lord uh, or do you need that lifting up by his grace? Either way, uh, this is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news that can create in our church family are people who share something of the joy of their Saviour's feast, are people who happily extend Jesus' free invitation to this feast to the world around us, and are people who just delight when other sinners come and join at the table. So let's pray that God will do that among us and pray together. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he was the friend of sinners.
of the lost and the unclean. Keep us from the kind of proud arrogance that might consider ourselves separate from everyone else. Lord, we confess to you now and today that we ourselves outside of Christ are so in need of mercy and grace that we are sinners, we have turned from you and done what is wrong. We have lived our lives in rejection of you. Uh, We've even lived in hypocrisy and pride. And we bring that before you now and confess it to you, our gracious God. Our Father, we thank you that you are the Lord who, in Jesus, invites us into this great feast. Uh, and we pray for, I pray for everyone here, for all of us, Lord, that we might all accept your invitation to come, uh, to come to your table and to receive your forgiveness and to rise up renewed and live lives that are pleasing to you in every way. And we pray that for your sake, in Jesus' name. Amen.